The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Patricia Raskin's Positive Living, the program that brings you practical and inspiring principles for living more authentic, engaging, and passionate lives. Created by Patricia Raskin, a catalyst for positive change. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of the host, guests, and callers. And now, here's your host, Patricia Raskin. Hello, everyone, and welcome. Welcome to Patricia Raskin Positive Living, right here on Voice America, America's Voice. And today we are talking to an author of a novel. Her name is Mona Simpson, and the name of her book is Casebook. Mona Simpson is the author of Anywhere But Here, The Lost Father, A Regular Guy, Off Keck Road, and My Hollywood. And Off Keck Road was a finalist for the Penn Faulkner Award and won the Heartland Prize of the Chicago Tribune. She has also received a Whiting Writers Award, a Guggenheim Grant, and a Lila Wallace Reader's Digest. So, welcome, Mona. Thank you. Now, this is, um, this is a very interesting book. Um, it's about a young boy's quest to uncover the mysteries of his unraveling family. And what he discovers turns out to be what he really doesn't want to know, the inner workings of his parents' life. But then he just can't stop searching. So, you know, that's, that's really an issue for a lot of adolescent kids today. Um, why did you choose this topic? Why did you decide to write this book? Um, well, a couple reasons. I was trying to write a kind of a grown-up love story. I'm sort of fascinated by the idea of how Americans, at least now, have an idea that love is available, and even romantic love is a is a quest that people of all ages will undertake. And I think that's kind of a a beautiful idea, but it it also has some some complications and perils. Um, we're used to the classic love story, you know, think of Romeo and Juliet. We have very young lovers and their families may be impediments, their parental families and their, the clans to which they belonged. Now, if people in middle age are seeking love and especially romantic love, they, they likely have children who are also influenced and may prove to be impediments, but may also prove to be, um, to feel that they themselves are, are caught up in this romance of their parents, whether positively or, or threateningly. Mm-hmm. So huh. it interested me both from the point of view of the love story, but also the point of view of the changing family. The love story, and which love story are we referring to here? The, his love story or the love story with the parents? What, what, which love story? I was thinking of the parents' love story, but also the, the family love story, the kids' protecting the parents in a certain way. Hmm. The boy's love for his, his mother. Uh, one of the things that uh, I question and I know you've written about is that in this story, and in, in fact, can a child, when, particularly when they're going through this, can they be as happy as their mom? 
In other words, you know, she's working with him and in a lot of ways has the responsibility of helping him, but can he be as happy as she is or more? Or does it really depend upon how she behaves with him? You know, Nora Ephron had a hilarious line about um, about her fulfillment versus her children's needs, and and she she once wrote that um, that she is she was stunned to realize that her children really would be happy for her to be bored as long as they as she fulfilled their needs. So I'm I'm not sure that it's it, it's an I thought that was very funny. I'm not sure it's a mathematical equation, but certainly, um, certainly, you know, depressed or unhappy parents are not are not a good thing for kids. I mean, I think we can all agree on that. Not that it can always be helped. Yeah. Well, how did Miles handle his mother's new companion? I mean, did that work for him? Was it hard for him? What were the challenges? I think when his his mother starts to have a, a romance after their marriage falls apart, after, and I think at first he's um, he's both kind of repelled and also sort of fascinated by the the suitor. He both sees some opportunities possibly for the family, but also he it just doesn't feel natural to him. It just doesn't feel intuitively right and how do you feel that on how is that handled in the book in terms of you know how how she works with him on this you know how does she make him feel or help him feel that he's still loved and wanted even though she's got someone else and I think that's an issue for a lot of adolescent kids um I'm not sure. I mean, I think she, in this case, in the, in the case of this book, I think for a long time the reader's not certain whether whether she's reassuring him sufficiently or not or whether he could be reassured sufficiently or not. Mm. Um, I'm not sure it's really um, a prescription. I mean, I think, I think he and his best friend have, have begun a sort of course of spying and and investigating, they have doubts about the mother's suitor, and it's hard for the reader sometimes. It's hard for the reader sometimes to know whether they're. That's one of the things I was playing with: is the reader doesn't really know whether or not their doubts are warranted because they have lots of personal um, stakes in this particular game. So what you're doing is you're showing, you know, you're showing a flawed family the way it is, and kind of letting readers <laughs> come to their own conclusion. No, um, um, no. I, I hope it's a little bit more shaped than that. But um, I, well, when, I, when I say flawed, when I what what let me let me clarify what I meant. What I meant when I say flawed is that you showed people in the reality of what a situation is, not what it could be, or not the makeup situation, but what they went through, and you let the the readers go through that with with the characters. Hmm. Yes, I mean, I think I think there's times when the readers know more than the characters do because it's in this mm. case because it's told from a young boy's point of view. Yeah. So, but yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, that I mean, that's really what I meant, and I think there were some lessons here. Now, from the book, this is kind of cool, and I'd love you to explain this. Miles, the son, says to the readers, "I was a snoop. 
but a peculiar kind. I only discovered what I didn't want to know. And uh, he was afraid that his parents were considering divorce. And then he and his partner in crime would use a walkie-talkie hidden under the parents' bed. So that's pretty interesting. Talk about that. Well, I think I think there's you know we're all very aware of how the how Google is sort of tracking our purchases in the way spying on us and and if if we look at a sweater online we're likely to have it flashing to the side of our our, our browser every time we open it. We're we're conscious of that, but all the electronics we live with now also have personal implications. I mean, um, many spouses, as we all know, have discovered infidelities from an email. Many parents have discovered that their children aren't where they're supposed to be by those location things on their phones. Many people have discovered perhaps drug use that a kid has from a text that pops up on a phone. So all these, all these, the way we live now with all these electronics has made it easier for people to uncover each other's secrets, even, even privately, even in our most yeah. personal lives. Yeah, yeah, something um, more so today than, than ever before. So, yeah. any um, why, why did you want to bring that in? Because you think it's it's more common and something we really have to look at and be more aware of. Well, I think that's I th- I brought it in because secrets are so interesting in terms of how we live. They're so interesting in terms of novels. They're, they're um, I think the the very very intimate, specific, detailed choices we make morally every day are, are stuff of novels. That's what. That's what excites me. And how about, talk about his view of sex, because, you know, from what I read, he thinks of sex as a lower threatening world, and he hears his parents argue about their lack of passion, and it it does something to him. So what what would you say to that? He's at an age where he, he really, he's a teenager, and teenagers are coming into their own sexuality. And I think most teenagers find their parents' sexuality or the notion of their parents even thinking about sex or wanting sex or still having sex or having anything to do with sex is kind of creepy. I think teenagers want, they're coming into their own sexuality and it's it's sort of their time. It should be their time. At least they feel that way. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it works the other way around. You know, if you're an adult... Um, you don't, and your child's an adult. You don't want to know about what they're doing either. <laughs> probably, probably. Yeah. No. Um, all right. We have a couple minutes to break. What is um? What's one point you'd really like us to know? I mean, what is? What's kind of the turning point in the book? If you want to share that for him, for the boy. Oh gosh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Um... I don't know. Maybe that's a bit of a spoiler. I think it, it's, All right. it's hard to extract that. Okay. All right. <laughs> well, then, then let's talk about um, the, the constant use of unexplained nicknames. You know, Miles' mother is Mims, and his younger sisters are Boop 1 and Boop 2. <laughs> well, um, what I thought that I, I, they're, 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 I don't know. I hope they're not so much unexplained as, as familiar. They're familiar yeah. nicknames. They're, they're what the, the family calls each other that the reader will pick up on, I hope. Yeah. They're intimate well, nicknames. Which probably draws him, maybe makes him feel closer to them in some way? 
Well, I think it's just it's just um, sort of the way people talk to each other. I, I'm just trying to, you know, in novels, one tries to give people an experience, not so much um, say that they use a nickname because it makes people feel closer. It's it's to to give a you know what we read novels for is to have an experience of life, to actually feel mm-hmm. some life in there, and mm-hmm. so that's the kind of detail that happens in life. People do use these these yeah. warm nicknames for each other. Yeah, and it also makes it more real for the reader. I mean, yeah. they can feel Definitely. it more. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to take a break. How can people find the book? Um, hopefully in their independent bookstores, because, we're, of course, it's available from Indie Books and Powell's and Amazon and all those places. But we're, I love real bookstores, so I'm hoping people will go into real bookstores and, and pick, it, pick it up there. The name of the book is Casebook. It's a novel by Mona Simpson, who's the best-selling author of Anywhere But Here. And we're going to come back and we're going to talk to Mona Simpson about this book, Casebook. And uh, it's really the story of, of an adolescent boy and what he goes through when his, when his parents break up and the adjustment and the family dynamics, and it's very interesting. You're listening to Patricia Raskin, Positive Living, and this is Voice America, voiceamerica.com, America's Voice. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Are you experiencing a relationship or a relation slip? Without the carefully measured balance of spirit and ego, it might not be what you want it to be. On Relation Slips with Dr. Bobby Summer and Lori Lynn Mann, we'll explore relationships from two unique ends of the spectrum. In addition, we'll have amazing guests, both experts and celebrities, and we'll hear from you, too. Relation Slips can be heard live every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in Tuesdays and join the credit master and consumer advocate, Mr. D, a.k.a. Bruce J. Danielson, and learn the whole truth about credit risk scoring, collectors, both kinds, credit bureaus, credit cards, tax liens, mortgages, and much more. Find out how to use accountability combat to protect yourself from becoming a victim and to fight back against corporate abusers, such as banksters who have taken unfair advantage of most of us. The Consumer Fightback Show educates consumers on how to find relief within today's onerous credit system. See you Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Patricia Raskin's Positive Living. If you wish to call into our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That number again is 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to Patricia at PatriciaRaskin.com. Now, back to Patricia Raskin's Positive Living. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back. Welcome back to Patricia Raskin Positive Living. My guest 
is Mona Simpson, and her book is a novel. It's called Casebook, and it's a very interesting book. Uh, she is the acclaimed, award-winning author of Anywhere But Here and My Hollywood. And this book, Casebook, is a powerful new novel about a young boy's quest to uncover the mysteries of his unraveling family. What he discovers turns out to be what he least wants to know, the inner workings of his parents' life. And then once he finds out, he cannot stop searching. So it's her, he starts eavesdropping to find out what his mother is planning for his life, and then it goes on from there. Welcome back, Mona. Um, let, me, let me read a little bit from the beginning of the book and then have you comment particularly on divorce today and, and divorce in novels. All right, so what he says is that he's a snoop, but a particular kind. I discovered what I didn't want to know. The first time it happened, I was nine. I'd snaked underneath my parents' bed when the room was empty to rig up a walkie-talkie. Then they strolled in and flopped down, so I was stuck under their bed until I got up. I'd wanted to eavesdrop on her, not them. She decided my life. Just then, the moms were debating weeknight television. I needed, I believed, I absolutely needed to understand Survivor. You had to. You had to talk to people at school. The moms yacked about it for hours in serious voices. But the only thing I liked that my mother approved of this year was chess. And every other kid, every other kid in the fourth grade owned a Game Boy. I thought maybe Charlie's mom could talk to her. She listened to Charlie's mom. So it goes on and on, and it talks more about, um, you know, being under the bed and kind of needing his mom's approval. And um, uh, fill that out a little bit for us, Mona. Um, well, this is a book that's about a number of things. This is a book that's about um, ideas about what love is, what romantic love is, how that has a place or doesn't have a place in within a family. Um, in terms of what what happens to kids when how does the family how does it work when parents split up and the adults have other romantic relationships how does that play out for their children what do their children feel watching this and being part of it or not being part of it mm. um, how do they feel about their parents having a romantic life at a moment when they themselves are beginning to have the first flickers of those those feelings themselves um, so it's about it's about all of those things yeah and we don't want to give it away but how does Miles eventually come through all of that from the snooping to being with his parents to knowing they're splitting up to wanting the approval of his mother how does he work through this toward the end well he he has many trials and tribulations and he has to he has to really grow up and, and come to uh, come come to understand himself. He's, he's got to. He actually comes to confront some of his own failures and his own um, lapses, and and he, you know, does a lot of a lot of learning himself throughout the book. But um, one of the things that I think is a little bit new and unusual is, you know, we're, we're living in a society where so many people. Divorce, we combine families, and I think people do that differently now. It's, it's different to grow up as a divorced kid now than it was when I grew up, for example, or two generations ago. It's, it's, it's much more common. People tend to handle that differently. So 
part of what it right. There are more really people. There are more kids they can talk to. In other words, their friends may be in the same situation. Whereas thirty years ago, there weren't that many kids that had the same situation. Right, absolutely. You would really you would be the divorced kid. I was in fact all my parents were divorced, and I was more or less the divorced kid in the class. Um, so so that was definitely more conspicuous than it would be today. And and also, um, you see divorces today. These, these these particular two boys who are who are doing this spying are both both have divorced parents, but both of the parents, both of the families have the kind of divorces where the parents are still friends and have dinners together and see each other. And, and so I think we're seeing that more today. Don't you think, Mona? We're seeing that more today. I hope so. I hope I so. I hope so, too. Yeah. yeah. I think that's an important thing. So, again, we don't want to give away the ending, but do you see, is there a real, where's the hope in the end for Miles and his family? Well, I think there's a lot of hope for Miles and his family. Um, I think, um, you know, his family is a close family, and it remains a close family. It's not it's not an absolute conventional family. Um, it's not the family that, in some ways, his sisters wish it were. They're still younger than he is and have slightly more romantic uh, visions. But, it's you know, every kid would, would wish to have his parents stay together and, and be romantically happy. But at the same time, I think I think it's a good family and a solid family, and I think they all know that. Yeah, very important. I want to ask you about being a writer. You've been a writer for a long time. How did you get into writing? Was this just something that came to you, and how do you get inspired? Um, it's something I've, I've always done um, and always loved to do. Um, I think I get inspired by by some... I'll hear a bit of conversation or I'll see an image or I'll, something will come to me and then I'll get started. And it'll often be a long time before I really understand what it is that's meaningful about that image or about that little bit of dialogue. But um, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a great life because I'm constantly learning. It's a frustrating life because you're always kind of a beginner. Yes, yeah, new stories and new things. Um, do you do research on the topic? Like, did you do research on divorce? Do you do research before you write the novel? You know, I do research after I have a draft. I do research when I'm in it. I usually write it first, or sort of let my intuition guide me, and then I'll research afterwards. Mm. But I love the research part. Um, yeah. This novel, I did less research but some novels I've done more. I wrote a novel about um, domestic workers, about nannies specifically in America, and we're good nannies. So I did a lot of research for that. Yeah. Yes. Um, how do you when, you, when you write, does it, how long does this situation percolate? So, for example, before you wrote Casebook, was it already welling up inside of you? Did it take several months? Did it take several years? How, how does that happen for you? Oh, they all take several years at least. Um, really? Yes. It's, it's, not a fast, it's not a fast profession, at least for me. I'd like to be a little faster. Hmm. Well, and but what would you say? Long time to know it's really what really matters to me in it. What would you say? And, you know, you go into, you go into a used bookstore or sometimes you'll go into an old hotel where they 
sort of decorated with old books, and you'll see thousands and thousands of titles that we've never heard of. You know, we don't need just another book. We need we need another great book. So anything you can do to make your book meaningful, it's worth the time. And what does that mean when you say... That means that, that I try to spend as much time on each book as I can to make it as much as close to what my vision of it is or was as possible. There's no, there's no rush for me. Well, but that, that's good, isn't it? I mean, because you, you really wait until it's the right time. Yeah, I, I put all the work in that it takes. Yeah. What advice would you give to aspiring writers? I would say to read, to read as much as possible. To read things you love. Yeah. Read all different genres or more if you're if you're going to write fiction, read fiction. Or or read different genres. I think read what calls to you. I think read, you know, let your appetite guide you, but read constantly. And write a lot. And um Richard Ford once said, you know, be sure to marry someone who thinks it's a good who thinks you're being a writer is a really good idea. I've always loved that. I thought that was funny and good. <laughs> so, I mean, make it your life. Find a life that you can live and write in and read it. Yeah. Do you think people should journal? I don't think there are shoulds or shouldn't, but I think that you have to put your work and what you care most. I mean, most people don't write fiction. It's less a profession than it is a vocation. So, I mean, I think with anything that you're doing because you love it, you have to put it in your cent- in the center of your life and let it right. dictate yeah, a lot of other choices. Absolutely. Meg, it's been a pleasure to have you on the program. Again, tell people how they can find your book. Um, hopefully at your local independent bookstore. All right. And again, my guest has been Mona Simpson. Her book is Casebook. And it's really interesting. It's a new novel about a young boy's quest to uncover the mysteries of his unraveling family. And uh, he dis- what he discovers, he doesn't want to know, and then he just keeps searching. All right. Thanks so much, Mona. Stay on the line. Thanks so much for being on the program. Thank you. Or, all right. Bye. Stay tuned. Stay tuned, folks. We'll be right back for our second half of Patricia Raskin Positive Living right here on Voice America, America's Voice. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Patricia Raskin's Positive Living. Be sure to join Patricia Raskin and another amazing guest next Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have an outstanding week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 